Well, we're in the Old Testament this morning and in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a Jew and had gone away with the many others to um, Persian lands at that time. He was a captive, but he had a vision. He had a vision to return to Jerusalem, which lay in ruins, the walls and the temple in ruins. And he asked the king of Persia for permission to go. And he met very many problems on the way. But this is just the beginning. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate. Examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading concerns Paul's first missionary journey. There are four readings, and it might be easy to follow on the screen rather than pick here and there in your Bibles. This four readings come from Acts. In the church at Antioch, there are prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon Cornija, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. In Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Iconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered round him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to, be, to remain true to the faith. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these two great readings, great stories of vision and uh, of expansion, um, rebuilding and re-extending of your kingdom. We thank you for the inspiration that they've been to generations and generations of Christian uh, missionaries following in the path of Paul and of community builders following in the footsteps of Nehemiah. We ask, Lord, that you'd speak to us today of your vision for us in this generation, in this community. That you'd open our ears and our hearts to hear exactly what you have in mind for us and our part in it. And that you would give us the courage to respond to your calling. Amen. So thank you for the two readers, two great readings. Um, Apologies firstly to them that I only gave them the readings about two days ago, so they've done really well, uh, and then when they got the readings they discovered they were really complicated, so they've done even better, so many thanks to them. So um, I was mentioning to somebody yesterday, I've, I, I need to set the world on fire in less than 10 minutes, and he suggested try a nuclear device. I don't think that was very helpful. Okay. But I've got some fellow feeling with Nehemiah. For three months after I was appointed here as vicar, which is about 10 years ago now, so I was appointed as vicar and I didn't start work here for another three months. And in that time, in that intervening time, I spent the time every morning running round the parish. I wasn't actually following in Nehemiah's footsteps, but I had that same sense of finding out what it was that God had given to me and asked me um, to give myself to. Seeking the vision that he had for this parish and for this church, this congregation and this building right at the heart of it. And during those three months pounding the streets, God began to show me a vision for this congregation. And as with Nehemiah, it was very much a vision for rebuilding walls, for consolidating occupation, and for pushing forward with boundaries and influence. Some of that vision has already come into being. You've seen it over the last 10 years, and some of it is still awaiting its day. So let's look back at some of the great things that have happened over this last 10 years. Well, firstly, we've built the wonderful entranceway that you came in through this morning. Still the talk of the diocese, attracting five times as many uh, visitors uh, a week as used to be the case when the old entrance behind the bus stop always locked was, uh, was the way in. We've seen people coming to faith through the Alpha course, now through Christianity Explored. We've been instrumental in at least 10 weddings of couples who met or grew together in our fellowship here. I could look around and see a few of them. And there's been one or two uh, baptisms as well. We've continued to build our children's ministry, making it a dynamic, life-shaping force in the lives of young children and families. We've seen children growing up through our youth ministry onto vibrant faith at college and beyond. 
We've built up our safeguarding practice from almost nothing to being judged outstanding by a national auditor. And of course, we've backed our school and our nursery to the hilt. We've seen uh, the school adjudged outstanding by the national church inspection team and the nursery changed to 51-week provision. We've produced two ordinands, one of them up there in the gallery whose birthday it was today. We've trained two curates and uh, a third one on the way and we've trained up two and released two lay readers, both here this morning. We've run a whole range of effective family discipleship and leadership courses which have enabled us to grow in our faith and our discipleship. We've run conferences on Alpha and prayer and healing. We've thrown a couple of amazing street parties down Palmerston Road. We've had social outreach ministries like Beesham and Healing on the Street, Friday Fridge, of course, going from strength to strength, shifting its style as the profile of guests has changed over the years. We've supported St. Simon's in Mission Partnership, the Deanery Youth Project, the Whole Link through Project G, and our mission partners at home and abroad. We've raised our giving by more than 20%, and we've restructured our staff teams several times for more capacity to invest in growth. All in all, we've grown by 25%, and we've touched the lives of thousands of people. But like Nehemiah, we keep finding, year by year, that things which were once strong need strengthening again. That's just life. People go. Other people come. Core leaders move on to new ministries, or they get tired and they need R&R, or they move on to other cities, other countries. And those who are arriving have different gifts. A couple of years ago, I don't know if you remember, copying Nehemiah, I got James Adey to, uh, to go around different parts of the church, blowing his trumpet to call us to the walls where we needed new help. Well, what needs strengthening now? I'm glad to say it's not as widespread as it was a couple of years ago when almost the whole uh, staff team disappeared. But there are a couple of areas I need to draw your attention to. Firstly, with Andy's departure and Emily's long-term sickness, it's going to be tough in the office for the next couple of months till we make a new appointment. So please be patient with us. And you'll notice on the news sheet that Pat, our caretaker, is off sick too. So we're looking for someone to help with the cleaning. Andy has also been very involved in leading our worship here, coordinating rotors, mustering musicians, leading the band at both 10.30 and 6.30 services. He's at 6.30 tonight. Well, we're really grateful for our stalwart musicians and our band leaders, but they're going to need more support over the, the coming months. If you're a musician, would you ask Jesus if he's calling you to commit or recommit yourself to strengthening our worship team? All I can do is lead worship a cappella from the front, and we do get bored of that after a week or two. More than that is up to you. Of course, there is another thing I could do. I could, I could look to appoint a worship coordinator or a worship pastor later in the year, and we'd all benefit from that. But naturally, that would require us to up our budget again, which leads on to the third area which needs consolidating our finances. Due to the difficulties of last year and, of course, the continuing rise of costs and the loss of some of our faithful givers, 
we still have a large deficit that's predicted for this year. So as always, I'm challenging those of you who don't yet give to St. Jude's to begin giving. You'll find more information about that in the worship brochure, which I will have at the door on the way out. If you'd like one of those, I would love to give you one. If you're already a regular giver, God may be challenging you to up your game, it's true, but I'd also love you to consider switching to the parish giving scheme. That was a, uh, a scheme that we introduced at the end of last year. I wasn't here, but you may remember there was a little video clip of me jumping out of a cupboard and telling you that I'm already signed up for the parish giving scheme and I'd love you to join me in that. If you were able to do that, it would really ease uh, the, um, the burden on our finance team and it would help us to recoup our gift aid. It also has some benefits for you guys. It gives you the op option of anonymity and uh, it's very smooth and easy to use. I, I purposefully was the first person to try it out and I found it very simple to join up with and to, uh, to change and adjust my giving uh, year by year. So please do consider that. If you're interested in that on the uh, response form, uh, there's a little box you can tick saying that you're interested in finding out more about parish giving. Please do tick that and uh, we'll get in touch with you. Yes, I know that we're going to face struggles and sacrifices in the year ahead. But I have to say that I'm not concerned. I know that God is at work in you. And I know that through you and for you, he's going to release the resources that you need for the ministries that he is calling you to. Actually, quite the opposite. I'm saying amen with Victoria. I'm really excited about the opportunities that God is setting before us to reach out in new ways with his love for the community around us. While I was running round the steep streets of uh, St. Jude's Parish 10 years ago, I took the opportunity to learn the street names. Seemed a good idea at the time, and it has meant that if anybody has said, oh, I, I think I'm in your parish, it's such and such a street, I can say confidently, yes, that's part of our parish. But whenever I saw a street name that was leading out of the parish, I had a sense that God was saying to me, not yet. You don't need to le learn those street names yet. Concentrate on your parish for now. But I had a really strong sense inside of me that God was planting a seed of vision that one day it would be the case that God would be calling St. Jude's congregation to reach out from this parish, to be planting churches and congregations again, which had, would have responsibility for new parishes, new communities, new streets. I've often used this image. What's the point of an apple tree? And the answer, of course, is to produce apples. And very tasty they are. I love apples. I've always got a few apples in our kitchen. It's one of my favorite snack fruits. But what is the point, other than to be a snack for me, of an apple? What's the point of an apple? It's got seed inside it. The point of an apple tree is the apple. The point of an apple is the apple pip, the seed inside it. And what is the point of the apple seed? to grow new apple trees. So there we have it. The purpose of the apple, the apple tree, is to grow apples 
that produce seeds that grow new apple trees. And exactly the same is true for the church. The purpose of a congregation is to grow new disciples with the seed of the gospel within them so that Jesus can lead them from where they are into new places and plant new congregations through them. Now, our first two vision goals, you'll remember, are about the roots and the, the trunk of our tree, about anchoring ourselves deep in God in prayer and worship, and then about growing strong in discipleship. But we need to have a mind, too, to the fruitfulness of the tree that we are. Within 10 years, not of my becoming vicar, but of the planting of this, this building, this congregation, this parish, this church, 160 years ago, within 10 years, our first congregation had planted two more congregations at St. Peter's and St. Simon's. And they'd not just built a school here for us in Marmion Road then, but they'd also built two new schools, one in St. Peter's Parish and one in St. Simon's Parish. Now, I think I've done well in the last 10 years. I've done, done nothing compared with the first 10 years of fruitfulness of this congregation. But somehow over the decades, the 15 decades that followed, we seem to have kind of lost track of that sense that God's calling on us is to be reaching out all the time outwards and planting new, new congregations, new possibilities, new witness, new outreach into God's world, into his community. Now, many people, it's true, have gone out from this congregation to other churches, to other cities across the world, taking the gospel with them. But for 150 years, we haven't had the opportunity ourselves as a congregation of reaching out and planting a new congregation. Well, over to our east, just a mile or two away, there lies a parish whose congregation has dispersed. It's called St. Margaret's, and it's on Highland Road just by the cemetery. The building is abandoned, and around it is a community largely unchurched. Thousands of people who don't yet know Jesus, his love, his healing, and his salvation live there. And the bishop has given to us the opportunity to plant a new congregation there to take what we've experienced in this wonderful fellowship and share it with those who haven't yet, to, to put into action what we've been learning over these years, to take a step further in our vision to see Jesus' love transforming lives from the heart of South Sea. Well, there's more information about that in this brochure as well. If you wanted to be part of that exciting opportunity, adventure, then come and speak with me or with Fran and we'll talk, or with Jit and we'll talk with you about the possibilities. Now you might say, oh well, that's a young person's job. I'm too old for that. Well, I want to tell you that from the morning congregation, the nine o'clock congregation, already I've had one person say, oh, I could come and play the piano. Somebody else said, oh, we would come and join you to do the coffee. So already people are gathering around this vision. Don't be caught out. Don't feel that it couldn't be you. Just going back to the story of St. Paul's first missionary journey, we heard a couple of, several, really significant things within that story. And the first was that through prayer and fasting, 
a church, a congregation in Antioch heard God's challenge to release their two best leaders and teachers to go and plant new congregations in the country, the regions beyond them. Now, that must have been a really hard sacrifice. You know, they had two people who were leading and teaching them who would go on to be foundational and formational for the church across, across the Middle East. They were there. They were recognizable as fantastic leaders. And that congregation, hearing God speak to them, had the courage and the confidence and the sense of self-sacrifice to release them to go on to what God wanted to do with and through them. That must have been a really hard sacrifice for them. And almost certainly they sent the money to go with them. Secondly, that small church planting team, there wasn't 100 people going off together, just a few of them, they faced constant hostility and opposition wherever they went. So it wasn't any easier being the ones who got sent. But thirdly and lastly, there was an incredible fruitfulness from all of that sacrifice. The new congregations in Paphos and Perga and Pisidian, Antioch, in Iconium, Lystra and Derbe saw people received into eternal life, Christ glorified, new congregations planted, leaders appointed, disciples strengthened. And when Paul and Barnabas came back to Antioch, they brought with them the sense of exhilaration and joy for all that they had witnessed. They shared with their sending congregation that joy and excitement of the fruitfulness from the sacrifices that had been made. The church at Antioch took the risk and they shared in the results. If we too, as a congregation, want to share in the results, the joy, the fruitfulness of what God is doing around the place, we have to be ready to make the sacrifices. We need to be ready for the pain of labor if we want the blessing of new birth. So, Jesus is calling us ever forwards. God invites us to seek him, as we are hearing in our theme verse for this year, to seek him and to find him in worship, in the sacrifices of giving and of releasing, and in the commitments of ministry and church planting. So my question to you is, how is, he, how is God challenging you? How will you respond? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we enter into a time of responding to it, soften our hearts, we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing.